0: Hey, this is Dr. Patty Sadala. Welcome to my Experience Jesus podcast. In this identity episode, we will address the great exchange that happens at the point of salvation and clarify what is included in your inheritance as a child of the King of Kings. In a future episode, we will address what we can know about the heaven experience. But for today, the focus is on your inheritance now. Do you remember the moment that the Lord Jesus Christ pierced your heart? Think back on the day of your salvation. Remember the emotion, surrender, hope, and excitement of it. Or perhaps that day is in the future for you. Maybe that day is even today. I remember a day that I said no to Jesus. I attended a youth group retreat when I was about 15 years old. It was not for my Catholic church, but a non-denominational church. I don't remember why my sister and I were there or why my mother would let me go to a non-Catholic overnight event. It was certainly out of her character to do so. I was more enamored with the boy there than what the youth leaders were preaching. But I heard enough to understand salvation for the first time. I remember saying no in my spirit. I think I was really saying not now. I felt I was going to say yes someday, yet I didn't want to give up on the fun things for which I assumed for my religious upbringing was the price of salvation. Suffering, poverty, performance, and earning of God's love were reinforced messages when I was a child. So I said no. I remember being in third grade and my teacher, a nun at the Catholic school, asked the kids if they wanted to be a saint when they grew up. It was unanimous. No one wanted to be a saint. The most memorable answer to the question was, because you have to be dead. The whole class laughed at that one. The truth is that every born-again Christian is a saint. Colossians one eleven to 11-14 says, We pray that you may be strengthened and invigorated with all power, according to his glorious might, to attain every kind of endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us in the inheritance of the saints, God's people, in this light. For he has rescued us and has drawn us to himself, from the dominion of darkness, and has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption because of his sacrifice resulting in the forgiveness of our sins and the cancellation of sin's penalty. I shared my story of my yes to salvation in God's love letter and your calling podcast episode number five. If you missed that, it's a wild story of how God used an angel to bring me to him, then immediately allowed for a heartbreak. And God sent me a love letter. It was my first journal from the Lord, which came only two days after my salvation. The Lord used it to comfort me and put me on the path of seeking his face. I lost that letter for 24 years until God brought it back to me and I could share it in my books. God continued to use it to change my life in ever peeling onion layers to this day. Since then, I have experienced a slow and steady growth seasons of backsliding, and then skyrocketing faith once I learned how to connect with God's realness. These truths are what I write about in all my books and teach in all my classes. It all begins with your yes. Why did Jesus come and die for us? God created the universe and everyone in it so that he could have direct communion with us. Everything God does is motivated by this love. The Lord walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day and fellowship with them face to face. All was well, but when Adam and Eve sinned for the first time, it created a problem God needed to solve. There were seemingly contradictory truths at odds with each other. God's holiness said that he could not come near sin, and death was the penalty for sin. See Romans 6.23. God's righteousness means that the penalty must be paid. See Romans 8, 1. God's mercy says that we cannot pay the price on our own. God's love and grace says, I'll come to earth and pay it myself. See John 15, 13. Jesus came as a humble servant to live a perfect life, so he could show us the way to live righteously. Jesus died and rose to eternal life as the solution to those contradictory truths. Why was Jesus the only possible Savior? When I was a kid, I thought Christ was Jesus' last name. In my world, people had two names, the first name and the last name. In Bible times, people and things were named for identifiable experiences. The word Christos, or Christ, means the one, anointed, the deliverer, the Savior, the Messiah. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believed in him will not perish but have eternal life. In the Strong's Concordance, the term only begotten is monogenous. It means unique, properly the one and only, one of its kind, no other. Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. In our math, that doesn't make sense, but it's not our math that matters. As we have already learned, Jesus was present at the very creation of the universe, is in all and in all. Jesus shows up pre-incarnate as the angel of the Lord 23 times in the Bible. The name Son of God was part of Jesus's identity. Jesus was the only one in history that could have fulfilled the now-known 353 biblical prophecies about the Messiah that were foretold in the Old Testament and confirmed in the New Testament. Thanks to the biblical research done by Henry Perry Lydon in the 1700s and continued and captured for you by the According to the Scriptures biblical scholars, you can check them out yourself. I have a link below in my pattyej.podbean.com website. Inspired by Lydon's work, Professor of Mathematics Dr. Peter Stoner wrote a book called Science Speaks, Scientific Proof of the Accuracy of Prophecy in the Bible in 1969. Dr. Stoner identified that Jesus fulfilled 24 prophecies in the last 24 hours of his life. He did a mathematical calculation of the likelihood of one person fulfilling just eight of those prophecies. To understand the magnitude of the reality of just eight prophecies being fulfilled by one person, Dr. Stoner gave this illustration. Cover the entire state of Texas, 268,820 square miles, with silver dollars up to two feet in depth. The total number of silver dollars needed to do that would be 10 to the 17th power. Next, mark one silver dollar so it could be easily identified. Put it back. Thoroughly stir all the silver dollars all over the state. Finally, blindfold someone and tell them they can travel anywhere they want in the state of Texas, but they must pick up only one silver dollar the chance of finding that one mark silver dollar in two feet deep pile covering the entire state of Texas would be the same statistical chance for only eight prophecies coming from one man. When I was writing about this in my first book, Clips That Move Mountains, now in its second edition, I found this incredible film clip from Echoing Praise Ministry that still says it better than I could in my own words. See the link below to that video and all the other references I talk about on this podcast at the pattyej.podbean.com site. One of the things that I found so interesting about these prophecies was the specificity of them. They were not generalized statements that could have been said about anyone. Since Dr. Stoner did the math based on only eight prophecies, Let's look at eight very specific fulfilled prophecies from Jesus' life. Sold for thirty pieces of silver, forecasted, Zechariah eleven twelve, fulfilled in Matthew twenty six, fourteen to fifteen. His hands and feet were pierced, forecast Psalm twenty two sixteen, and fulfilled in Luke twenty three to thirty three and John twenty twenty five and twenty seven. And by the way, Crucifixion was not even invented when David wrote Psalm 22. His garments were divided and lots cast for them, forecasted Psalm twenty-two eighteen 18, and fulfilled John 19, 24. His side was pierced, forecasted Zechariah 11, 1, 12, 10, and 12, and fulfilled in John 19, 34, and 37. Buried in a rich man's tomb, forecast in Isaiah 53, 9, and fulfilled in Matthew 27, 57-60. Born in Bethlehem, forecasted in Micah 5, 2, and fulfilled in Matthew 2, 1. Born of a virgin, forecast Isaiah 7, 14, and fulfilled in Matthew 1, 18. And resurrected from the dead forecast in Psalms 16, 10 to 11, and 49 and 15, and fulfilled in Mark sixteen six. Even more remarkably, some of these prophetic messages were between 400 and 1500 years before Jesus was even born. Jesus' preferred name for himself was the Son of Man, This is because Jesus chose to lay aside his deity and truly live tuned entirely to the Heavenly Father by the power of the Holy Spirit. He did this to show us how to do it. This is the truth of our capability when the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us. What does salvation include now? Most people limit the word saved to avoiding the eternal destination of hell and damnation. This is believing salvation is limited to the next life. Heaven is only part of what salvation means. It is for here and now too. The Greek word sozo means to save in the original Bible transcripts. includes rescue, deliver from danger, heal, to restore, to make well. The word sote refers to the deliverer properly the one who brings salvation and makes us whole, healed, and delivered. This is also the word for Christos in the Greek, or Christ. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have eternal life. That means you are healed, delivered, and restored now. You don't have to wait until you're in heaven to experience your salvation. This truth includes both justification and sanctification. Justification is your positioning in Christ. Once you are saved, you are a child of God, and you have your inheritance accessible now and in heaven. It's like you're at the right train station and have a ticket to the right train. Many think that this ticket gets redeemed when you die, People imagine meeting St. Peter at the gates of heaven and handing them their ticket. Then he lets them into heaven where they can finally enjoy peace and happiness. They live their entire lives believing the lie that they are wretched sinners and that they simply need to wait out this life to get their heavenly reward for saying yes. But that's not the truth of what is available for you at salvation. Sanctification is the working out of the biblical truths of salvation daily. It is walking out the reality that you can board that train now. Eternal life begins at the moment of salvation. There is no need for you to live like you don't have that ticket now. Sanctification entails a daily process of confession, repentance, seeking God's face, asking the Holy Spirit to continually guide you and move you along the journey of Christian maturity one day at a time. How can you have an assurance of your salvation? I believe that a lot of unsaved people think they're saved. Salvation is not an issue for which you want to be unsure. Let's look at what happens at the point of salvation so you can be assured of your spiritual condition. Mark 16.16 says, Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. The word here for believes in the Bible is pistis, which means faith to believe, the persuasion of and from God. It is the divine spark of the gift of faith required for salvation. This belief is necessary to have the trust needed to accept Jesus into your heart. It is when you choose to lay aside your own will and grab hold of God's preferred will by His power. This relational agreement is a spiritual heart contract entered into at the point of salvation. Once that heart contract is made, your salvation is sealed and it cannot be lost. John eight twenty eight assures this, And I give them eternal life, and they will never, ever by any means perish, and no one will ever snatch them from my hand. There is another word for believe in the Bible that needs to be looked at as well. Apisteo is a belief that comes from man's own mind or disbelief in God's promises. An example would be a belief in a negative outcome or to agree with the lies of the enemy. The Strong's definition for this word is to believe for self-serving reasons without sacred meaning, to disbelieve, or to be faithless. One of my students shared a story of how he went through the motions of saying the salvation prayer to oppress a girl in college. His motivation was to continue dating her and not because he genuinely believed in Christ. This action did not secure his salvation. Many years later, he did have his real salvation encounter with the Lord and gave his heart entirely to God. So just reciting the words of a salvation Salvation prayer without proper heart posture does not lead to salvation. Let's address the word baptize in Mark 16:16. 16, 16. The word for baptize in the Bible is baptizo. It refers to a submersion of water symbolizing the submersion in the living water of the Holy Spirit. To be baptized in the sense of Mark 16:16 16, 16 is a display of spiritual submersion. It is the surrendering of your will to the rising of the will of God. This heart posture is demonstrated by the physical display of total submersion water baptism as your outward declaration of an internal spiritual commitment. The outward display of water baptism is not what is required here as much as the heart posture of submission that the ceremony represents. It also includes a public or spoken declaration. It is an outward display of an inward commitment to the Lord. Salvation is not ensured because you were born in a Christian home, baptized as a baby, raised with the name of Jesus uttered in your household, or attended Bible classes. Each person needs to come to that humbling place on their own And it is a surrendering of your will to that of the Lord's that gives you the gift to believe. There will be evidence in the life of someone who's truly saved. Let's take a few minutes to understand the newness of salvation. Salvation brings many levels of new blessings in your life. You have a new life, a new relationship with God, a new identity, and new capability. Let's dive into each one. Jesus conquered sin and death so we could have eternal life now and live free from the bondage of sin, sickness, and the limitations of this world. See Mark 16, 16-17, and 2 Corinthians five seventeen. Your old self, that is your sin nature, was crucified on the cross with Jesus. He didn't just die for you, he died as you. Because you have accepted Jesus, you have eternal life now and in heaven. You are free from the bondages of this world. You no longer have to accept illness or struggles as insurmountable challenges in your life. We've already learned that part of the definition of salvation or sozo includes healing. And in episode six, how God heals and how to receive God's healing, you learn that God's healing is physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. There is a connection between your life now and your life in heaven. Your heavenly accommodations will depend on how much you practice the truths of your salvation while you're still on earth. Walking in alignment with the Lord, living out your freedom, healing, and victory, and bearing much fruit for the kingdom will prove advantageous in your heavenly eternity. It's important to understand that this life is comparably like a single grain of sand on the shores of the entire world. You need to understand that you have a new wineskin. Mark 2.22 says, No one puts new wine in an old wineskin. Otherwise, the fermenting wine will expand and burst the skins, and the wine is lost as well as the wineskin. But new wine must be put into new wineskins. I asked the Lord to explain this parable of the new wine and wineskins. And Jesus said, The inside of an old wineskin could not be seen. Wine leaves behind a fermented residue as the wine ages. After the bottle has been opened for a few days, the wine begins to ferment and turn sour, many days after being opened. It's because it's starting to break down and rot. New wine poured into an old wineskin that has old rotting cells makes the wine rotten molecules expand and burst the old wineskin. The new wineskin represents the new man, healed and untainted. The new wine stands for the truth of my presence, my grace that comes with salvation, the Holy Spirit and fullness in your heart. When the believer agrees with the truth that they are free to live without the barriers or hindrances of the old sin nature, their heart is a new wineskin. You have a new relationship. Jesus bought you direct access to the Father. Before salvation, you and God were separate entities. Even though God created you to always be able to hear him because you have the eyes and ears of your heart, and he was always there watching over you because of his omnipresence, when Adam and Eve sinned, that sin separated us from the Father. He could not come near us directly because he cannot come near sin. In the Old Testament days of the tabernacle, The Holy of Holies was the place where God's presence on earth resided. Only the high priest, once a year after major purification ceremonies, could go into that room to pray for God's atonement for the sins of the people. At the moment that Jesus died on the cross, there was an earthquake and the veil covering the doorway of the Holy of Holies was ripped from top to bottom. Jesus had gained all believers' direct access to the Father in that moment. We can come right into God's presence and connect with his mind, will, and emotion. Because when God looks at you, he sees Jesus' covering of perfection over you. See Hebrews 1019 19-22. Jesus' finished work on the cross paid the penalty for Adam and Eve's original sin. Now we can go behind the curtain and have access to God directly. We have the confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, Hebrews 10:19. Jesus died and was resurrected not just to gain us access to heaven and wash away our sins, but to give us direct access to God. The divine transaction made at the cross allows us to commune with God any time we want. This is the very reason I facilitate encounters so people know how to do that. Now let's look at what your new identity is all about. When you accept the gift of salvation, you become an adopted son or daughter of God. With this new familial designation, there is a great inheritance. Galatians 3, 26-28 says, For you who are born again have been reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed, and sanctified, and are all children of God, set apart for his purpose, will Full rights and privileges through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ into a spiritual union with the Christ the anointed, have clothed yourself with Christ, that is, you have taken on his characteristics and values, there is now no distinction in regard to salvation, neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female. For you who believe are all one in Christ Jesus. No one can claim spiritual superiority. There are great parallels between the Old Testament tabernacle and the New Testament Christian life. The tabernacle symbolizes how to move forward toward God in greater intimacy by addressing key phases of the Christian life that help us to see that there is more intimacy and capability with God the more we grow closer to him. I asked the Lord to give me a tour of the tabernacle and show me those connections between the Old Testament and the New. We will look at the three rooms of the tabernacle as they relate to your body, your soul, and your spirit. And I will share what Jesus showed me one room at a time. There is a link to a diagram of the tabernacle below on the pattyej.podbean .com site so you can see what I'm describing here the outer courtyard represents your body and is lit by natural light when i asked the lord to give me a tour of the tabernacle and show me jesus didn't talk to me this time he just showed me things we began our journey by entering through the gate of salvation depicted at the bottom center of the diagram when you accept jesus christ as your lord and savior you enter through the gate of salvation. This hard transaction qualifies you to enter the tabernacle of God. When a person enters through the gate of the Old Testament tabernacle, they entered a courtyard that had no roof. With no ceiling, it was lit only by natural sunlight. This area of the tabernacle reminds us that when we were initially saved, we are still more in touch with the world and our five natural senses. The natural light reminds us that our focus is on the natural world at this phase of our spiritual walk. This room represents your body. The first thing you encounter when you get there is the altar. In the original tabernacle, this is where the animals were sacrificed to atone for sins. For us, this altar represents Jesus' sacrifice. His blood was shed for our sins. That as we approach the altar the word tells us that we are to let our bodies be living sacrifices to the Lord which means that we are to lay aside sacrifice our own will in favor of God's will it is a surrendering of your will and heart on the altar dying to your selfish desires this is what I experienced when Jesus and I entered the outer courtyard There was a gate and a fence around the outer courtyard. Jesus took me by the hand and we walked through the gate. It was a sunny day and there was no roof over this courtyard. We approached a blood altar that looked like a large table. Then I saw a hologram of Jesus hanging on a cross right above the altar. His blood was dripping on the altar. Jesus motioned for me to kneel and pray. I knelt and I surrendered my will to the Father and his blood dripped into my hands. I humbly asked the Lord to take away my selfish desires and thanked him for the sacrifice. Then the hologram disappeared, and Jesus took me by the hand again. The next thing in the courtyard is the laver. This is the wash basin where you cleanse yourself by reading the word of God. Jesus and I walked up to the laver. It was a large round bowl, almost like a wading pool. It was bronze on the outside and the inside looked like mosaic mirrors. I saw a distorted view of us and the word of God rippling in the water. I stepped into the laver and I washed my hands and feet. To be washed is to be made clean, purified. In this room, you're still in the outer courtyard. So this reading of the word is a new experience for you. And you are still in the room representing your body lit by natural light. So in this room... You tend to understand the Word of God with your head, not your heart. I feel as though the majority of Christians who are saved can be stuck in the outer courtyard, where they still look at their circumstances in the natural world. They don't quite understand the difference between living by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. They try to understand using only their natural minds. Sadly, most don't go deeper in their relationship with God than this. Led only by the natural light... People will fix their eyes on their worries, frustrations, and pain. They live as though they are sinners saved by grace and not victoriously empowered by the Holy Spirit. This type of Christian tends to struggle with sin, striving in their flesh. Many don't spend enough time reading the Word of God or concern themselves with obeying it, and many have attended only a holiday service in the last few years. They tend to pray only when they need something from God, Is that you? Do you want to have more? Keep moving through the tabernacle. The next room in the tabernacle is the holy place, representing your soul, lit by the illumination of God in your heart. This roof had a ceiling and was lit by the candles of a lampstand. This room represents how your soul initially connects with God. There are three things in this room the table of showbread, the lampstand, and the altar of incense. Then Jesus and I walked into the holy place. It had an animal skin ceiling over it. The walls of this room were purple and red thick fabric. I looked up at the ceiling. The leather-like fabric had a faint shape that looked like the image of Jesus from the Shroud of Turin. I pointed that out to Jesus and he smiled. He is my covering. To the right was the table of showbread, which had loaves of bread that people ate around a table. For us, this represents two things, the fellowship of the body of Christ and the grinding down of your own will to that of the Lord's. At this phase of your Christian journey, you may be attending church regularly, learning from others, eating and drinking the word. Here you begin to allow the Spirit-led people to speak into your life, and challenge you to be your best, honest, and humble self. Jesus and I walked to the right to the table of showbread. There were 12 loaves of bread and wine. The table was low to the ground and did not have chairs. There were other people there, and we sat down on mats and ate some bread. Mine turned into an oyster cracker and reminded me of taking communion at church, where we remember and thank Jesus for his sacrifice. We sat and ate with these people for a bit. The lampstand provided the only illumination in the room. This represents God illuminating your heart when you read the word of God. This happens when scripture leaps off the page and seems to apply directly to you. Here you begin to notice God working in your heart and in your life. You pay attention to what God is doing and you acknowledge him. Unlike in the natural light, When you read the word of God, it feels like God is talking directly to you and you are not reading it just for head knowledge and understanding, but for transformational heart wisdom. Then we went across to the other side of the room to the lampstand table. There were 12 candles with metal backs that would reflect the light into the room. From the metal plates, I saw scripture coming to life like a holographic 3D movie. The last thing you encounter in the holy place is the altar of incense. This represents the praise and worship of the people. This is where your prayers truly express your heart gratitude for everything that God has done for you. Like smoke, your prayers and worship rise to the nostrils of the Lord and please him. You enter God's presence with your praise and thanksgiving. Next, we approach the altar of incense. Smoke was rising to the ceiling from the incense holder and traveling over the top of the curtain into the next room. When I looked at the basin where the incense was burning, I saw people crying, praising, and raising their arms in prayer and worship to the Lord. If you are a person who hangs out mostly in the holy place, you are growing in your faith, spending time with people in the body of Christ, reading the Word of God, praying and worshiping. You should be noticing that you're changing and becoming more like Jesus in this place. My time in that room felt like a couple of decades of slow and steady spiritual growth. Many churches do a great job encouraging people to live in the holy place. Remember, this room is lit by the illumination of God in your heart. This is good, but there's something even better. The third and final room in the tabernacle is the Holy of Holies. This is the room for your spirit connection, and it is lit by God's very presence. This is the room the Experience Jesus podcast is all about. We've already said that Jesus paid the price so that we could come into God's presence, but the divine transaction that's made at the cross allows for even more benefits Let's look at what else is in this room so we know what that has to do with us. Directly behind the altar of incense, there was a thick curtain, more like a wall, separating us from the Holy of Holies. Jesus touched the curtain and it ripped from top to bottom. I could see only blackness behind the tear of that curtain. Then Jesus took me by the hand and we stepped into that room. He brought with him the brightest light. I saw the Ark of the Covenant toward the back of the Holy of Holies, and we approached it. The Holy of Holies was lit by the Shekinah glory, which is the visible majesty of God's divine presence. It manifested in the Holy of Holies as God's divine dwelling place in the Old Testament tabernacle. Now God's dwelling place is in the hearts of believers. The presence of God lives inside of you. That's why this room represents your spirit. Your spirit united with the Spirit of God. The Ark of the Covenant was the only piece of furniture in that room. It was a coffin-like box with a mercy seat, which was the lid or covering for the chest. Jesus is our mercy seat. When the Father looks at us, he sees Jesus' perfection covering us. This is the only reason... We can be in his presence and have the encounters that you're learning how to do in this podcast. Inside the ark were three items. Each one is significant for us to understand. The first was a jar of manna. The second was Aaron's budding rod. And the third were the Ten Commandments given to Moses, scribed by the finger of God. Jesus and I approached the ark, which looked like an oversized casket. It was ornate. All gold, with two angels facing each other, outstretched wings, covering the top of the lid. I saw the poles and the rings for people to carry it. With one finger, Jesus lifted the lid, and I saw a large clear jar filled with manna, which looked like little yellowish flake-like chunks. jar was just a bit smaller than a milk carton and had a fabric lid with a wax seal. Also in the ark was the Ten Commandments. On a slate like rock. I couldn't read the language, but I was thinking how cool it was that they were written by the finger of God. I also saw Aaron's staff. It had the almond buds and flowers and almonds still on it. These items represent God's provision, His perfect will, and His power and authority. This is the room of the Spirit. When we encounter God in the Holy of Holies, we are in the spirit realm experiencing the direct presence of God. So in this room, we need to remember that each of these items in the Ark represent supernatural realities. Let's look at them one at a time. The jar of manna represents God's promise of supernatural provision. He is Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. God fed manna of food from heaven to the Israelites in the wilderness for 40 years. God's provision is not limited by the laws of this natural world. So why would we expect God to provide within the limiting boundaries of this natural world? Why would we pray low-level natural prayers when our God owns everything and has everything we need beyond our understanding? So when you pray to Jehovah-Jireh, don't limit God by your small prayers. You are in the Holy of Holies now. Believe him for supernatural provision. The second item in the Ark of the Covenant was Aaron's budding rod. See numbers 17, 1 through 9 for the story of when the grumbling Israelites challenged Aaron's authority as the priest. God promised that the one who had the authority would have the rod that would bud and bear fruit. Number 17.8 tells the end of that story. Now on the next day, Moses went to the tent of testimony and the rod of Aaron of the tribe of Levi had sprouted and put out buds and produced blossoms and yielded ripe almonds. Moses brought out all the rods from the presence of the Lord to the Israelites and they looked and each man took his rod. The rod of Aaron represented the authority of God given to Aaron to be the priest over the Israelites. He was the original high priest and was the only one allowed to go into the presence of God in the Holy of Holies. With permission to go into God's presence, we must remember that the budding staff represents our authority that we have because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Let's look at what that means in 2 Peter 1, 2-4. And as I read this verse, please notice all the absolute words that are in it, because they apply to you. Grace and peace, that special sense of spiritual well-being, be multiplied to you in the true intimate knowledge of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. For his divine power has bestowed on us absolutely everything necessary for a dynamic spiritual life and godliness through true and personal knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has bestowed on us his precious and magnificent promises of inexpressible value, so that by them you may escape from the immoral freedom that is in the world because of disreputable desire and become sharers of the divine nature." God shares with us his very divine nature. Wow. Does that blow you away? Our hearts are fused to God's and we have the authority by way of the Holy Spirit to do miraculous things. God has uniquely gifted us to accomplish certain things for the kingdom and fully equipped us for this work he has for us to do supernaturally. The third item in the Ark of the Covenant was the Ten Commandments that were carved by the finger of God. This represents the law or the rules of this game. God gave the Israelites Ten Commandments, primarily to show them right from wrong and to show them that apart from God, nobody can keep them. The point was to demonstrate that they needed a personal relationship with God. We are fortunate that Jesus perfectly accomplished the law. The indwelt Holy Spirit gives us a conscience to lead us and gives us the power to obey. Without God, we cannot properly obey him or even have the faith to believe in him at all. We get our faith from God himself. Positionally speaking, as a child of God, you have the keys to the Holy of Holies. This room is in your heart, gaining you the presence and the power of God to be and do all that you have inherited. Now on earth as it is in heaven let's talk a bit more about your new capability more on the power you have in Christ all born again believers have the power to exercise the gifts of the spirit i'm going to read mark 16:17 and i want you to notice how many times the word will is used here that's an absolute word god is not saying may or might he's saying will mark 16:17 says These are the miraculous signs that will accompany believers. They will use the power and authority of my name to force demons out of people. They will speak new languages. They will pick up snakes, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will place their hands on the sick and cure them. This verse does not say that some believers or only special believers will do these miraculous things. It says that all believers have the ability and should be doing these things. This means that we have the capability to do these things once we are saved and we have the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Because he comes in fullness, and as we grow in our spiritual maturity, he releases these capabilities so that we may exercise all of our gifts by his power and for his glory. When you step out in obedient faith by God's power, You show God spiritual maturity, and then he'll trust you with more. The book of James is all about this truth. James is saying that you will know a true believer because they are releasing God's power. They are not doing things in their own strength because they are miraculous things. Rather, they are doing miraculous signs to prove that God lives within them. James 2.14 says, What use is it, my brother? And if someone says he has faith, but he has no works, can that faith save him? So to clarify, James is not saying that it is your works that save you. He's saying that your works are evidence. They are evidence that you have been saved because you're doing them supernaturally by God's power. If you haven't yet accepted Christ's gift of salvation and you're ready to do that, it's really simple. Or if you have accepted Christ, but you're living below your true salvation's inheritance, you can accept him or rededicate your life now. Simply have a conversation with Jesus and he will hear your heart cry. Admit that you need Jesus. Ask God for his forgiveness. Believe that Jesus came for you. Accept the free gift of salvation. Confess with your mouth that you want to receive the gift and thank him for saving you. There are no magical words that will make this happen. He will accept your heartfelt prayer and send the Holy Spirit to dwell on your heart. It's that simple. It could go something like this. Jesus, I'm tired of living my life without you. Forgive me for all my sins and for trying to do this life on my own. I need you to come and help me. I believe that you are who you say you are, Thank you, Jesus, for offering me the way to eternal life. Come into my life now and show me how to be my best self. Lord, move me one day at a time toward my Christ identity. Thank you for sending me the Holy Spirit to show me the way. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Once you have sincerely prayed a prayer like this, you're saved. Congratulations and welcome to the family of God. Okay. Are you ready to experience the Savior? We will do a quick experience in a minute, but I wanted to encourage you to check out the resurrection encounter that I have linked below at pattyej.podbean.com. In that encounter, which takes way too long for me to walk you through right now, you actually get to witness Jesus resurrect from inside the tomb and have a conversation with him about why you were worth doing everything he had to do to save you. It is one of the coolest encounters I've ever experienced, so I wouldn't want you to miss it. If this is your first podcast, you will want to listen to the trailer episode for the biblical foundation of our Experience Jesus process and learn how to dialogue journal. You will meet Jesus as a child and establish a special place, your spiritual private place to meet Jesus. And as always, it's best to properly posture your heart before doing this encounter So you may want to stop this tape and quiet yourself down, breathe deeply, and always remember to experience Jesus as a child for best results. In today's encounter, you will meet Jesus in your special place as a child, spend some time playing with him, and then ask him to help you better understand how you can cooperate and live out the truths of the great exchange of your salvation want you to ask him to take you to the Holy of Holies so you can experience the fullness today of your inheritance. Ask him to show you something that is true about who you really are and what you can be doing supernaturally with him right now. Spend as much time as you need and make sure you capture your entire experience in your journal. I hope you have a greater understanding of your inheritance and your salvation now. In a future episode, we will address your heavenly reward. And I hope you will join us on this podcast adventure. Follow this podcast and forward it to others that you think may be blessed by it. And check out all the links below. They are designed to take you deeper. I thank God for you and bless you in Jesus' name.